Welcome to Unity of Tucson. I've, I've had a lot of challenge with what I wanted to say today. Because when the week started, I had something entirely planned, and then the week unfolded. So I want to acknowledge, first and foremost, um, that there is many, many people who are struggling with what has happened in this country in the last few days. <clears throat> and while I am not prepared to talk about it today, because I'm still in my emotional space around it, I have not developed my own point of view truly that I can share with a community. I just want you to know that we are a community that supports community. We are a community that supports each other. And if you are feeling challenged with what's happening, turn to your community. Turn to people that you trust. Let us lift each other up. Um, you know, one of the things that I also consider is that as a minister from the pulpit, I oftentimes think about what is it that I can talk about, what should I not talk about, what are the things that I should say. And I think that today it's a great message to remember, say what you need to say. So ministers are not allowed to talk about candidates from the pulpit, so I just want to be very clear, that is the line, the legal line. We don't talk about candidates, we don't endorse candidates, we don't revere one over the other, but we are at liberty to talk about issues. And at issue this week is this dominion of self. We teach in unity, this is rooted in principle, we teach in runity, in runity, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but we teach in unity, that we all have dominion over ourself. And so if you are in alignment with that, then it's probably feeling like a very challenging week. We are not here to tell anybody what to believe. I want to be very clear. I think I say this a lot. We're not here to tell anybody what to believe. We offer guiding principles which you may choose to adopt or not. That's entirely up to you. But today I think that I want to just say this in response to what I am experiencing unfolding in our country. I have one response, love only. Love only. And I will choose as I move forward to let love guide me in action. And that's what I invite each and every one of you to consider as well, to let love guide you in action. It's not always been so easy for me. And now here's the turn. <laughs> There's a great lyric in that song, just three words that always resonate at my heart level because I can recognize my own self within them and that is living a history of silence. I have always had a bit of an interesting relationship to being an openly gay minister. And it has not always worked out in spiritual communities in the way that I would always like it to. So when I was in, when I was in Toronto, and, and, and here's the thing, I wear a shirt that says unapologetically inclusive, that's what we stand for in unity, right? Yeah. 
That is what we stand for. That is what we teach. We are unapologetically inclusive. You know when I put the clicker down, something's happening. <laughs> that is also, so my background, as many of you know, was from the religious science side of new thought. I, I, I came through Religious Science International, which became Centers for Spiritual Living. That's all history. Um, and, and in that paradigm as well, they would consider themselves unapologetically inclusive. When I took on my first position as a spiritual director in Toronto in 2012, which is right after I had gotten my first, uh, right after I had received my first ministerial license, you know, I come into a community and I am open about who I am from the get-go. And here's the thing that happens. At that time I was single, so I wasn't talking about my husband. I now have a husband. But it is not lost on me how much many people take for granted the capacity to talk about their relationships without it triggering people. Every gay person, every person in the community has to make the consideration of whether or not to come out in every conversation. So when I got to Toronto, I was open. I was open in my candid candidating for the pulpit. I was open with myself, and there were people in that community who came up and said, I should not be so open and talk about it so much. Surprising to me in a progressive and welcoming and inclusive community, at least a community that says they are. Truth be told, the people that did not resonate with me in that, and, and me living my truth openly, they left and I honor them and bless them and trust they find their spiritual path that works for them in the way that it works for them. A year ago, I heard titters from people who were in this very room. And people had reported back to me that there was some concern about, now this is gonna surprise you, that there was some concern about how much I talked about being gay. And there are people that have left this community because of that. I'm not here to shame them. I'm here to honor them on their path. But it's something that is always a consideration for me. Do I express myself from my point of view of truth openly and freely? Well, I would not be doing you any, any I would not be doing you anything as a minister if I were not to be entirely myself from this position that you have asked me to be in, it is never lost on me that I am here because of you, your decision to have me serve. But we're always, always, always in this place of consideration. When I was in Kansas City, if you're connected to me on Facebook, you may have seen me talk about this, or I posted, uh, I think, some written stuff about this. When I arrived in Kansas City a couple weeks ago for the Unity People's Convention, I was picked up at the airport, and <clears throat> I, I used a car service, and the, the driver was very chatty. And I have no issue with chatting and small talk and everything, but boy, all the assumptions that were made about who I was, number one, as a minister, and as a married person, because he asked me, oh, are you married? Yes, I am. Well, tell me about your wife. And because I didn't know where I was, I chose to stay in the closet. Because I don't know who this person is. 
I don't know. I'm in a car alone with someone I don't know. Now, in that moment, I don't, won't say that I was too proud of remaining closeted in that moment. I will say that I very carefully chose my words in, the, in, in, in speaking about my spouse and never indicated gender. <laughs> and then something happened to, at the uh, convention that was a surprise as well, and it's all related. <clears throat> Unity claims to be unapologetically inclusive, and I think I said last week that was not always the case. As part of the convention experience, awards are given out to various ministers in the field, people who have done extraordinary work to invite us all to transform our lives and work on a larger scale than just individual communities. And there was an award that was given out uh, last week to, oh my gosh, now I can't remember her name. Anyway, her name is not important in this moment. What I want to talk to you about, though, is that she got up and accepted the award and told a little bit about her story. And her story is this, that she was first ordained in 1978. And she has been serving in active ministry since 1978 as an, as an ordained minister. And two weeks before ordination, she was at Unity Village. And, you know, it's a celebratory time because you're all just a couple weeks away from that which you've been working so hard for for years. And the word came down from up above, the leadership of unity that said, if anybody is openly gay, we will not confer upon them ordination. I know, right? So we have grown a lot. We have come a long way. I want to be very clear. We all are in the, in the process of evolution. I am grateful for the demonstrated evolution of unity as a movement. In that moment, this minister had to make a decision. Do I jeopardize my ordination by living my truth openly, or do I do something else? Now, in that moment, she chose to remain in the closet. And she, was give, she took on a pulpit, <clears throat> and while she was in her pulpit, she fell in love. And so she had to make a decision. Now, this is you know, more than a decade later. She had to start making decisions about how openly to live her life. And she, like me, I think, made the determination that if she is not living authentically with her community, in front of her community, then there is no point in stepping forth and calling herself a spiritual leader. And so she began a movement in unity to turn around a regressive policy. So let us honor her for that. So there's a question that comes up in relationship to this, and, and, and it was one of the questions that was brought up in one of the seminars that I attended while I was at the convention, and it is this. Are you seeing life through the lens of your bias? Are you seeing life through the lens of your bias? The truthful answer is, there's only one answer, it is yes. Every single one of us, whether we know it or not, is seeing life through the lens of our bias. 
And one of the great spiritual lessons we can learn is to open ourselves up into an awareness of our bias or biases, whatever they may be. Is that the right plural, biases? Whatever they may be, and allow ourselves to really say, is this in alignment with who I say I am in the world? And if it is, great. And if it is not, let it go. We have a magnificent power that we enjoy, and we've been talking about it all month, the power of imagination. Our imagination can help us to move past our biases or can help embolden our biases. We get to make a decision. The power of imagination is so powerful that we are constructing our life and creating our life based on our imagination from that power at all times. It is never ceasing, ever. Everything that is flowing forth into experience is because we are creating it first rooted in the imagined life. Through our imagination, oh, what do we love to do? We love to make up stories. (laughs) And in the absence of information, we are masterful storytellers to ourselves, aren't we? If we don't know, we make it up. All the time. And those stories oftentimes lead us, oftentimes lead us to create and place others in boxes. That's what it is to be living through the lens of your own bias. We are consistently putting people into boxes of what we think they are. And for me, one of the powers of this philosophy is to begin to break down the barriers of, barriers of those boxes and open up to the realization that No matter whom I encounter at any time, whether I have agreements or disagreements with them, they are God. And anything else is just drag. (laughs) It is the costume we wear as God. It is the thing that we clothe ourselves in. And I'm ready to let go of the notion that anything that you wear, anything that you present to the world is anything other than divine. In Toronto, this weekend, they are celebrating pride. And um, one of the things that I loved about living in Toronto is that Pride in Toronto is not just part, it's not just one weekend, and it's not just in one little neighborhood, the gayborhood. It is an event that takes over the entire city for an entire month, and you cannot go anywhere in the city of Toronto without seeing pride flags everywhere. So it feels like a really good place to be, right? So this weekend, they have their big pride parade and their street fair and everything. And um, in 2012... The Center for Spiritual Living, where I was serving as spiritual director, we got our own booth at the street fair, and we went out there, and we had all of our pride flags and signs, and I had a shirt, you ready? The shirt said, God is so gay. (laughs) But on the back, we had a word cloud that said, and lesbian, and trans, and... (laughs) And, and black and white. And we had a beautiful word cloud of all the ways that God expresses itself. And it was, 
<laughs> and I think we, I can't remember, I think we had something else, and so much more too. Because God is infinite. God is expressing by means of each and every one of us infinitely. Well, we also had this poster that um, we put out there, and it said, the top 10 reasons the Center for Spiritual Living is for you. So I'm going to include this as the top 10 reasons why unity of Tucson is for you. Number 10, you are spiritual, but not religious. Nine, you dig Buddha, Jesus, Yogananda, and Lady Gaga. We have to do a Lady Gaga song. (laughs) Number eight, love is who you are. Number seven, you honor all paths. Number six, the idea of God's wrath. (laughs) Rolling on the floor laughing. Number five, you consciously create the life you desire. Number four, your therapist told you that you should find some place to go. Number three, you're done with dogma. Number two, you're happy and you know it. (laughs) Number one, join us and determine your own reason. Boy, did that sign cause a lot of controversy. There were people who would come up and say, I love what you've written here, but I'm a Christian. (laughs) How easily we put ourselves into boxes. How easily we limit our potential by stating something that we don't even sometimes realize might be limiting. Any phrase you say that is followed with the word but, you might as well not have said anything before because your truth is coming out afterwards. So out on the street, but I'm a Christian. You're taking away my Christian God. That was the response to the shirt. You're taking away my Christian God. And being young in ministry, My response was, oh, I've got to convince you of something else. (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've, I've moved past that. And here's what I would often say. I would say, well, if God is all things, nothing can ever, nothing can ever be taken away from you. Subsequently, I have deepened into greater awareness that I was placing that person also in a box. And that my work was my work to do, to let them go and be free of that box that I was placing them in in the same way that I expected them to let me be free of the box they were placing me in. You see how that works? It's works. It's work. I know I do this all the time. This philosophy is work. Until when, William? Until it's not. (laughs) I always turn to William because that's our joke now. (laughs) 
So I want to go back to an even earlier time when I placed myself in a very specific box, broke out of that box, and then entered into another box. June 23rd, 1991 was the first time I ever attended a Pride event. I was 18 years old. You can do the math now. <laughs> and at that time, I was an avid journaler. You know what got me away from journaling? And Waverly, we're going to talk about this. You know what got me away from journaling? Social media, because that became a place where I would type and write a lot. But I don't have like physical journals like I used to keep. But this is what I wrote in my journal on June 23rd, 1991, talking about going to the Pride Picnic on Hippie Hill in Himmel Park. I wrote, I felt for what could be the first time in my life so accepted by all these people. All people around whom I could, all people around whom I could be myself. I have a feeling that is truly indescribable. I can really only say that it must be freedom. 18 and a half years old, and it was the first time that I'd ever really felt like I lived freedom. But what really changed, what really changed was not the circumstances. It was not because I went to a pride event. No. What changed was my relationship to the circumstances of the world. That's the only thing we're ever working to change is our relationship to the circumstances of the world. And here's what happens. When we change our minds about our relationship to the circumstances of the world, well, then the circumstances of the world begin to conform to that which we have changed our minds about. And so that is when we say your thoughts create your experience. We're not out there trying to change the experience. No, we're saying I know who I am and I'm going to change my relationship to everything I am experiencing and I watch everything I am experiencing follow suit to become that which I require and desire in my life. This is extremely important right now. We should not be defeated by the challenge that we are experiencing politically in this world, it should be a call to each and every one of us to reflect upon what it is within us without blame, to reflect on what it is within us that has allowed this to take hold in the collective consciousness. And then do the spiritual work which impels us into action. Because spiritual work without action means nothing. Faith without works is dead. It is up to us to step into action. So, in changing my relationship to the experience and to the circumstances, I freed myself from that box I had put myself in. And I opened myself up to live a life of magnificence, Magnificent imagination, and then I very quickly put myself into regimented little boxes of where I fit in then within the Alphabet Mafia. <laughs> you know what the Alphabet Mafia is, I've mentioned it here. The LGBTQIA community, get it, Alphabet Mafia? The life I wanted to live was only limited by my imagination. That's it. 
And so part of what I need to do is explode open my imagination. And the life I want to live, it is freed by the imagination. Ernest Holmes said this, free yourself forever from the thought that God may be pleased by a life of sacrifice and that the world is any better because of your misery. Before finding that freedom within myself, I could perhaps look at my life and say, it was a pretty miserable life. That was a decision. When I broke the barriers down, ah, something new was born. You are not making the world any better by sacrificing or living in misery. So if that is where you are right now, find ways to let that go. Find the path to freeing yourself. It begins in the imagination. One of the things that we can do, because oftentimes the, the, the misery we live is the challenge we face with people. Anyone have challenging people in their lives? Not a one. Not a one. I will say, they are fewer and fewer in my life. But what I realized is that they are simply reflections of that which I am. And so my work is to acknowledge this, that the grace I ask for in relationships is the same grace that I must give. And that grace extends to the relationship you have with yourself, to the person you see in the mirror. You are the presence of God in form. Do you know that? I mean, do you really know that? You are the presence of God in form. So if you know that, to what degree are you living it? Today is a day I am inviting us all, through the title of my message, to let our God show. Let your God show. Let it shine so brightly that it casts a light on all the darkness. Be the point of light that is transforming this world. Love people. Love people. That was Jesus' primary message. Love people. He, he said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. I give you a new commandment. This is meant to supersede anything that came before it. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. And so, love is all there is. Pure love, that's it. Love is the answer. What was the question? <laughs> I think it's very fitting that I have this quote of John Lennon when we started the month singing Imagine. Imagine to engage our imagination. Love is the answer. What was the question? Every question that you face can be answered in and as love. If we don't love people, we can't help people. Love is all, full stop. Love is it, that's it, nothing else. Love, love yourself and love others, and that is how you love God. So we're concluding Imagination Month, 
and we're concluding Pride Month until we get to October. And I have a special surprise um, Pride weekend in October. Now we're just, oh, we can't miss that. So to conclude Imagination Month and to conclude Pride Month, I want to invite you to this. Imagine a world where each and every one of us shows pure love to all. Yes, all. Because there are people that we might want to make excuses for. Let the excuses go and show pure love to all people. Imagine a world where we boldly deepen our awareness and ask questions to release others and ourselves from the box rather than using our imagination to make up those stories in the absence of information. Imagine a world where we have courageous conversations to broaden our perspectives and deepen into an awareness of other people's independent journeys through this thing called life. And imagine a world where each and every one of us is a light of compassion and respect, even when we disagree. That's a spiritual path. That's a spiritual path to me. And it is asked of each and every one of us that we do the work. That we do the work even when we leave the church. That's where the work needs to be done. It's very easy when we're in these communities, when we come into community, when we congregate here. It's very easy to see the God light in everyone, isn't it? Are you doing that when you leave this church? Don't, devote, don't devolve into gas tank conversations. That means nothing to you. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you, I know, I'm, I'm probably way over, but this needs to be said. So every year at an, in, the, in the religious science side of things, we would go to this beautiful place called Asilomar. And I know that there are people in this room who have experienced the Asilomar conference, right? Um, the, the Centers for Spiritual Living no longer goes to Asilomar, but Asilomar is this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful facility on the Monterey Peninsula in California. And you go, we would go, we would take over the entire facility, the entire religious science movement, we would take over the entire facility, and everybody would go, and it was so lovely, and oh, we're going to all these glorious workshops, and we're going to prayer practice, and we're doing this, and going and singing, and so much fun, and, oh, and you leave after a week, and you're just like floating on a cloud, Oh, it feels so good. And then you get in your car. And the first thing you have to do, especially if you lived in L.A. and had driven, dr driven up to Monterey, is you have to go to the gas station. <laughs> so you drive out, and you're floating on a cloud, and you drive out and float on a cloud. Oh, it feels so good. And you go to the gas station, and there's other people who are there at the gas station, and they're bickering with each other. Well, you said you were going to pay for gas. Well, this was going to be this and that and the other thing. And then they look over to you, and they recognize you from the conference. Oh, namaste. <laughs> How quickly we devolve. Do the work, even when it seems hard. That's the message today. Let us be intentional. Let us be intentional in creating the world that is awakened to its magnificence. Doing that, 
doing that, we do and will transform this world into a world that we all want to be a part of. So let your God show. That's the message. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. And now, I have a special, special thing happening today. Instead of the benediction we have been doing, I would like the choir to assemble, please. As they make their way up here, though, I would like to let you know what the homework is. The homework this week is to come out. I want every single one of us to come out of the closet as pure love. Hello. Part of that is I would like each and every one of us to make a commitment this week to meet someone new this week that experiences life in a community that is not in one of our boxes. I'm going to repeat that. Come out as pure love. Meet someone new that experiences life in a community that is not within your box and let it be guided by pure imagination. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.